Welcome to Hard Truths by Vertex. This is where we peel the layers and uncover raw, unobvious industry insights and venture capital knowledge across Southeast Asia and India. We interview some of the world's top leaders in tech, innovation and capital formation to hear the stories of enlightening discoveries as well as aha moments to help early stage entrepreneurs navigate their building journey. If you like what you hear, please click follow or subscribe. Hi, I'm Elise Tan and I'm your host for this episode of Heart Truth by Vertech Podcast. Today, we're back with a special episode. So I'm here in Mother's Work. Our portfolio company, The Parent Inc., has announced the acquisition of Mother's Work in Singapore. Today, I'm going to interview none other than Roshni Matani Cheng. Roshni is the group CEO and founder of The Parent Inc. The Parent Inc. reaches uh, 35 million parents across Southeast Asia monthly. As a female uh, sole founder, she is also very active in building up the startup community. In 2015, she started the Female Founders Network to help over 3,500 female founders to be able to share knowledge and also network with each other. Rosny is also an executive producer of a docu-film, Untouchable, Children of God. This is about how young girls are trafficked from Nepal to work in brothels in India. It's a truly inspirational film. I recommend you to watch it. Rosny is also the Obama leader for the 2019-20 batch for APEC. So right now, I'm really excited to interview Roshni. Hi, Roshni. Hi, thanks for having me here. I'm so excited to be part of the Vertex podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much. And this is also a special episode, part of our International Women's Day program. So Roshni, today we are at Mother's Work to tell us about this press conference that's happening today. Oh yeah, it's such an exciting day. Uh, we announced that we acquired Mother's Work and this is our first foray into physical retail. So yeah. now, you know, we've come a long way from what started off as a blog at the Asian Parent to then having our own brands, uh, Mama's Choice, Little Ray, and now having physical retail mothers. And I think what's even more important is that it's a big day for Sharon, mm. the founder and CEO of Mother's Work, where she's put her blood, heart, soul, and sweat uh, because she comes and joins our team as well. Yeah, and I feel like you are kind of um, helping her to continue her legacy and to build on it, right? So it's really amazing. Yeah, so, um, you know, the question that people always ask you first will be, how did you come to start Parenting or Asian Parent? I always say I'm an accidental entrepreneur, right? So yeah. my entrepreneurship journey did not start with me waking up and saying, hey, what's the biggest total addressable market that I can go after <laughs> that is growing at a kegger of like 50% year on year? No, none of those things, right? It really started off with the fact that what is it that women actually need when they transition into their life of motherhood? Uh, so it all started when I was a babysitter in New York City. I was babysitting these two beautiful children, uh, three and six, uh, in the Upper East Side. And the way they were being parented was the complete opposite of everything I've ever seen. So it was a first-hand look on Asian parenting versus Western parenting. But the whole Asian parent got triggered when this little cute girl asked me, what's your favorite fruit? And I said, durian. And she says, what's that? And I started talking to her about durian. And then she said, I want to try. And besides the fact that in my head, I was going, where can I buy durian in New York City? But the next question was, can a three-year-old eat durian? Is it too heaty for them? So, you know, it was that first important question that made me go, let me start researching online. 
And I was very shocked and very, very upset to find that there wasn't much content for anything that was Asian related online. The world was being dominated by Western parenting information and how to raise your child. But if you look at the world's population, Asia is more than half of the world's population. So how about we celebrate our culture, our customs, our lifestyle? And that's what I try to do with the Asian parent. Yeah, definitely your content, you know, your idea has added value to so many parents in Southeast Asia. So you share with me that every month, 30 million of digital pregnancies are going to your platform, you know, understanding how to raise happy, healthy children. So I think that's really remarkable. Just deep insight from the start of life, which is just so fascinating and so humbling as well. Yeah, and I can see that, you know, how your company has grown over the years um, and also now going from digital to offline, it all makes sense. I think maybe just last year, you rebrand uh, your business uh, as Parent Inc. And I think, um, you know, that has a story behind it. Do you want to share with us? Mm. (laughs) So when I first started off the company, it was called Tickled Media. Mm. And the vision was to start off and be an online uh, publisher. Mm. of multiple different magazine titles or e-magazine titles. Mm. So we tried. We had a few other titles which are now all defunct Mm. um, because at some point, two things hit me. The first was parenting was a big total addressable market, but there was enough demand from partners who were interested in tapping into parents. Mm. The second uh, thing was that if you want to build a community you need to have a group of people who are passionate about something. And it cannot Mm. be a transient passion. It has to be a passion that, you know, they're they're willing to invest a lot of time in, Mm. a lot of focus in. They're genuinely consumed by it. And it's consistently changing. Mm. So, for example, the parenting journey, trying to get pregnant is a different journey from Mm. pregnancy. First trimester of pregnancy is a different journey. You've got morning sickness. Mm. Last trimester of pregnancy, you're just thinking about when is the baby coming out? How do I get the baby out? What baby products do I have to buy? Mm. So even in the pregnancy journey, the each trimester is so different. Then you've got postpartum. You've got confinement. Mm. You've got all of your problems, right? A lot of women lose their hair during postpartum. Yeah. And the first six months of a baby's life, they need to be exclusively breastfed. And you're going, what is going on, right? Like my, my baby's sustaining on me but mm-hmm. I don't have enough supply mm-hmm. uh, or you know my gosh I've got you know cracked nipples which is a real problem mm-hmm. so you're going through all of these things and it keeps changing suddenly the kid is turning one they're learning how to talk how come my kid's not talking yet why is my kid not walking yet and then the kid's 18 months and you go which preschool do I send my kid to mm-hmm. at two years you're wor- wondering about hey how do I get my child to start learning languages and you know right brain versus left brain so it's like you're consistently engaged because it's like you're learning a whole new world yeah. all the way until the child is in university. And so you're able to build a sticky community. And that's not something that you can say for a lot of other communities. Mm. Today, you may be interested in a fast car, but in six months later, you might like another brand of car. Or maybe you're not interested in cars anymore. You move to ships or you may move to aeroplanes. Uh, so hobbies could change. Mm. But parenting, True. it lasts you a lifetime. 
Yeah, that's. I mean, when you put this in this perspective, I can imagine you know the the amount of time that parents would spend on your on your platform, you know, learning about different things along the way, and there's no way we would have learned this elsewhere. Because I'm also a mother of a young child, I can totally resonate with what you shared. You know, there's just so much to learn <laughs> and to discuss with other parents. Yeah, so it's amazing. And I have a small confession to make. You know, because you're one of the few female founders in the early like 20, 2008, 2010. I have always, you know, uh, grown up to say like, I want to be like Roshni if I'm on show. That's so sweet of you. <laughs> yeah, and you mentioned about how things are changing all the time, you know, especially how parents are consuming information differently across uh, times, you know. So how how did you, you know, evolve Asia Parent or Parenting along the way? Yeah, so when I first started off, right, it was just a blog and it was really about one-way dissemination. Mm. I know all the answers. I will give you the answers, right? I wrote the first 1,000 articles myself. Wow. <laughs> to me, this was preparation for myself. If I get pregnant, how do I know everything? Mm. And then um, in when I finally got pregnant in 2016, I realized, oh my God, no one really wants to read articles. People want to learn from other moms. Mm. I mean, I can read an article about the 10 best potty training tips, <laughs> but I really want to hear from another mom. How did you potty train your kid in three months? Mm. Please teach me. The second realization was, my gosh, during pregnancy, there's so much to learn. How can I get information in bite size? Mm. And how can I get it multiple times? Mm. So don't give me one article to read today, mm. but tell me that, hey, these are three things I need to know by this week and remind me about it. Mm. And so the engagement has to be very interactive. Mm. Once I had the baby, it was it was also very clear to me that I was spending a lot of time recording things. What's my baby's height? What's my baby's weight? Mm. How many times did she poop? I was like fascinated with her poop. I remember Darius and me taking out photographs after photographs of poop <laughs> and sending it to each other. This is what her poop looks like after carrot. This is what it looks like after eating corn. And it's a very normal behavior because anyone who's listening here, who's a parent would be like, I know this, mm. I resonate. And anyone yeah. who's not a parent will go, what's wrong with you? Mm. But like, we're obsessed about tracking. Mm. And instead of giving a paper and pen and pasting it all across, how do we create mm. tools which allow people to track it? And by tracking it, then you can, you know, there's comfort in knowledge. Like, okay, baby's fine. Baby's growing normally. Um, so that's when we developed the Asian Parent app. So the Asian Parent app was actually developed when I was pregnant. Mm. And then I'd be like proofreading all the content because I resonated with it. Mm. And so uh, so that's the first if, uh, evolution that happened mm. when I became a user of my own product mm. and I realized I was doing everything wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so once we developed the Asian Parent app, I think that was the first game changer. Then the next game changer was Okay, so we've got content, mm. which is needed, right? Yeah. Because at the end of the day, people search for things. Yeah. At least that was the past behavior. Mm. Um, then the next behavior was, okay, I want to track my baby. I want to also track my pregnancy and I want to meet other moms. Mm. The next behavior that we realized was that you don't just want to hear from other normal moms. You want to hear from VIP parents. You want mm. to hear from influencers, yeah. KOLs, micro-influencers. Mm. What are they saying? What brands did they use? So that was our next evolution where we launched VIP Parents, which was our micro KOL community. And we said that, okay, these uh, micro KOLs can become influencers for the other brands. Mm -hmm. And so we launched VIP Parents in like 2017. Wow. So 2016 was app, 2017 was influencer. So we were one of the first few who jumped yeah. on the influencer, micro influencer bandwagon. Yes. Then sometime around 2018, 2019, mm. we realized that 
monetizing media is very hard mm. because they grown the largest community. Yeah. And yet we were struggling with monetization. Mm. Mm. So in 2018, we had the hard realization we had the number one community across all markets, but we still can't make much money. Mm. What's going on? Yeah. And so, you know, we sat down with the board. We talked openly uh, and candidly about it. And I told them, you know, all my struggles, right? Mm. And um, that the realization that maybe media monetization mm. was a nice business model, but it couldn't grow to be a VC-backed, scalable business that someone like a Vertex or anyone else on our cap table would be looking for. So the question was, what do we do from here? Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, we were in the drawing board and we, we bounced back and forth a few ideas. Uh, and at that point in time, I moved to Indonesia. Mm. And when I was living in Indonesia, two things happened. The first was the realization that Indonesia was passing a law that most products had to be halal certified. Mm. And when I walked around into all of the shops, I realized that a lot of brands were not halal certified. Mm. I said, huh, maybe there's an opportunity here. And of course, you know, Southeast Asia, the biggest religion is Islam. And across the world, uh, you know, birth rates around, uh, you know, certain religiously uh, predominated cultures are increasing. So I was going, my gosh, the birth rates in this community is increasing. Mm, There's a need for halal products and nobody seems to really be doing it. I'm living in the country, which is the world's largest Muslim population. Why don't I launch products? Mm. So I started thinking about, is there potential in here? The second realization was that big brands were focused on baby market, but nobody was focused on the mommy market. Because it was a traditional concept that in the olden days, you spent everything on your kid. Yeah, that's but true. But now you have less babies. <laughs> so you start to spend on yourself. Mm. You go, oh my gosh, my hair is falling. Mm. Maybe I need a postpartum shampoo. So I said, there's actually a whole target audience that has been overlooked. And I couldn't name big brands that were focusing on mom. Mm. And then I also couldn't name big brands focused on breastfeeding. People were focusing on the pumps and they yeah, were focused on the equipments around breastfeeding. They weren't doing things for the breastfeeding journey in terms of skincare. Mm. So I felt that there was a huge opportunity in breastfeeding as well. And that's where we doubled down on. So in 2019, we launched Mama's Choice. Mm. Our first SKU was pregnancy toothpaste ah, wow. and pregnancy okay. mouthwash. Mm. And then in uh, 2020, sometime in February, we launched Stretch Mark Cream, which is now our hero product. Mm. And we started launching more and more and more products. And COVID hit. Mm. Yeah. And that was a whole different ballgame altogether because mm. nobody knew what was happening. I had this new brand mm. and we were making money. Yeah. And I remember going to back to board and said, Mm. It's not media that can make us a unicorn. It's products. Mm. But then That's I've true. got supply chain disruption. Mm. And, you know, I don't know what to do. Um, and so uh, the first mm. thing that I did was I moved back to Singapore. Okay. Because I was living in Indonesia. Mm, yeah. And, uh, and you know, Singapore was a little bit more safer. But more importantly, the schools were open in Singapore. Mm. And I had a child. And as a working mom, a CEO with 300 employees, I couldn't afford to be at home with my child all day long, mm. married to a fellow entrepreneur who also couldn't <laughs> afford to be alone at home with his kid all day long. Yeah. So we needed schools to be open. Mm. And that's where I think the Singapore government did such a brilliant job. While offices were closed, 
they ensured schools were open. Mm. And, uh, with your response to the previous question and also how you were observing the market changes, you are such an observant and detailed person and, and I think that is really one of the most amazing things about you as a founder. Um, and at the same time, you know, which is really hard is to be able to also have the vision, right? To move things, to be able to make big decisions. Yeah, so that that's truly remarkable. Yeah, thanks for sharing, you know, uh, what you have done. And uh, along the way, you know, you have, you have been, I, I think one of the few female who have been able to fundraise round after round. I read that in uh, 2022, you raised 20, uh, 22 million and then you also then raised your CVC. So, um, and you have made a few acquisitions along the way. So do you think that, uh, maybe this is a time where you, you would, uh, buy instead of build, you know, and how do you decide when to buy and build? You know, that's always a question people ask. Yeah, no. So I, I have done both, right? I've built. And I've also bought. Mm. So this is the second company that we've bought. Uh, it gets easier mm. <laughs> each time because now you know what you're looking for. So this is very different because I've known Sharon for a long time. I've known Mother's Work for a long time. I've been a Mother's Work customer myself. Mm. And I have such huge respect for the founder. Mm. Um, so I think it all boils down to when you're looking for a company to buy. In this last two years, as we've gone from being a loss-making company to an EBITDA-positive company, mm. and really just doing a lot of cost-realization and figuring out the fundamentals of our business, right? The heart of it has been, what is the culture that I'm trying to build? Yeah. And who are the people that I want around me building this culture? After we took started taking on a lot of uh, rounds of fundraising, from 2019 to 2023, early 2023, in many ways, I feel like we lost our way. Yeah. As a founder, it wasn't just that I wasn't operating the business as much because I was spending so much time fundraising and strategy, but I lost touch of the mom mm. because I started bringing in a lot of people who cared about the business mm. and the business model and launching things. Uh, and I may have hired based on your resumes, but I didn't focus on why I started this company, mm. which was the mom's. I want to serve the moms. I wrote the first 1,000 articles. I could have chosen any industry in the world and I chose moms before I was a mom. So that means I love this market. I love the community. Uh, I built the app with my own hands. Um, so, you know, I had gone so far away from my community. Yeah. And how do you build what people want if you are so out of touch mm. with your community? Yeah. I made all the right steps before because I was so close to the community. Mm. And then it was like, after launching all of these things, I went far away from it. And so buying Mother's Work and more importantly, Sharon, I met a fellow founder who could have done anything in the world. And 25 years ago, she decided to focus on mom and baby. And she sustained herself these last 25 years because the one thing she cares about is the mother. Yeah. So it's about finding other people who are truly on this journey with me, hmm. who really care about the end user. Because how we monetize is will automatically come. Not if you have the audience, but if you understand the audience. Yeah, definitely. You know, I think it's really brave of you to say that um, you have uh, kind of admit that you have kind of lost track along the way because I think that's not easy to say. Um, and I'm, but I'm glad, you know, you kind of uh, found back uh, where the focus is, which is in this case, customer centricity. Yeah, you know, with the interviews that I have with various of our Vertex founders, I think customer centricity is always one of the key 
key elements for success. Yeah. And, and I, I don't know, I'm, I'm really still amazed, you know, that, um, you have so much, uh, self-realization as well, you know, knowing, knowing, um, what you want, you know, what resonates with you. And, and then also, um, the kind of business that you want, the culture that you envision. Yeah. And as we look back, the conversation that uh, we we had, you know, you mentioned about how you realized that um, perhaps the Western um, sharing, you know, that if you build, um, people will come or like when you have enough people on your platform, money will come, that it might not work in Southeast Asia. It's like Western yeah. parenting and Asian parenting. It's different. It's different. it's different. And it's so hard, you know, to be able to borrow someone's playbook and then applying to a totally different market with different population, culture, beliefs. Yeah. And then, and then later, you know, realizing that will be product that can help you to uh, grow and then become profitable and right now figuring that uh, culture is the one that will be the fun- foundation you know for uh, enduring company yeah so I think all oh, this is like uh, really good insights for the founders and maybe this point I want to ask you you know um, what do you think are the hard truths that you would offer to someone who is going to start a business the first one is be ready to commit 15 to 20 years of your life mm. in- the startup journey is not a five-year journey. And if you're not ready to give 15 years of your life, please don't do this. Mm. Uh, the second thing is build something that you're not going to get bored with. Because it's going to go through highs and lows, right? But mm. if you don't even like your own industry, yeah. then you're dead. <laughs> it's going to be the most painful experience of your life. So for me, it was like, it's mom and baby. Even my next company will be on mom and baby. I love mom and baby. Mm. So I love the sector, right? So... Um, so that's what sustains you. I think the third thing is really be honest with your board mm. and be direct with your board. Mm. And there are times where your board knows a lot, but there are also times where your board knows absolutely nothing and they will take you the completely wrong direction. And you need to have confidence in yourself as CEO to stand up and say, I disagree with you. Mm. You're wrong. Because nobody knows actually what they're doing. Everyone's feeling it, but nobody knows your business the way you know your business. So don't get swayed by what different people tell you. But you must have a conducive working board. You know, if if board meetings are dysfunctional, then it's again Mm -hmm. going back to culture, right? It's the same thing as if your management meetings are dysfunctional because you have people who have different opinions and you can't get everyone aligned. The same way for your board, right? If you actually can't have your board being aligned with you, you're shooting yourself in the foot. So it's not about valuation. Mm. valuation doesn't matter yes. it's a long game anyway it's 15 years yeah. valuation going to go up going to go down but if you have a board that is not working with you who doesn't trust you mm. and you can't be honest with then you're you're in trouble yeah so definitely. I would advise entrepreneurs that choose your investors very carefully please for God's sake hire a lawyer when you're looking at your term sheet and your SHA and don't hire the cheapest lawyer hire lawyers who know what they're doing so and you might even end up after 15 years only owning one percent of your company Mm -hmm. so you know don't get over diluted right because it's a long haul game so uh, choose your investors correctly hire a right lawyer Make sure that you don't give all investors board seats (laughs) and you only choose the investors that you can truly work with to be on your board fight to keep those investors on your board. Yeah, and you know you mentioned about having uh, the right investors on board. Um, tell us about how did you get to meet Vertex? So I met Vertex. Vertex reached out to me mm. um, because there were members of the Vertex team that was using the Asian parent. And I think Vertex had looked at the parenting space mm. for quite a while. Mm. But I don't think Vertex just looks at sectors. Mm. They really, really focus a lot on the team. 
Um, and you know, it was, it was quite difficult because I'm a sole founder. So, you know, and at that point in time, I didn't even have a kid. Right. But the Vertex team was very uh, forgiving on all of that where, you know, I'm not matching my target audience. Um, nor do I have like a, a team, right? Because their main thing was, Roshni, if you give me the money, will you hire? And I said, sure, I'll try. Uh, but what I can promise you is that I will not stop. If I've taken your money, I will work my butt off to give my shareholders a return on investment. Mm-hmm. So if it is in my control, I will make sure that this becomes an investment you're proud of. Um, and, and I think, you know, uh, the most important thing was that I met with many different people at Vertex, mm-hmm. uh, all the way from Keylog to Juhok to Carmen and to even members of Vertex who are no longer with you guys. Mm-hmm. And I could connect with every single one of them. And I felt that, you know, Vertex as a company itself is so family friendly. I mean, look at Carmen herself. She's got four children, <laughs> right? Yes. So she, she walks the talk. Yes. That you can be an amazing investment professional. You can be a partner in the fund and you can rock motherhood in style. Mm. So it was a case of, wow, here I have someone I can look up to, someone who has, you know, who's older than me, has done more than me, who's willing to work with me, mm. but at the same time, not try to control me. Uh, and I think that was what uh, brought Vertex and me together because you guys were interested in the space, but you were also uh, really looking at which founders do you want to back? And for some reason, I think, uh, you know, I'm very grateful for that. Uh, the Vertex team felt that they could back on, they could uh, count on me. And I'm, I'm sure we're very glad to have been working with you on this journey. You yeah. know, definitely it's not easy. You mentioned about the ups and downs, right? But, uh, you know, you are so strong as a, as a, uh, female soul founder. I think really, really that's not easy. Um, and as, as I look at the portfolio across the years, you know, you might have been the one who started us, uh, feeling confident about, um, you know, investing into soul founder who are females. Yeah. So after you, we kind of know how do we work with female, uh, founders, you know, how do we um, help them go through the different phases in life? How do we help them to assemble people that can uh, be around them so that the business run no matter what happens? Yeah. So thank you for that. <laughs> thank you. I'm really, really grateful to the Vertex team. So you've seen the ups, the downs. Uh, and I will never forget the fact that when I went to uh, the board meeting to announce that I was pregnant, I was so, so stressed and so mm. nervous because I was like, how do I tell the board? And the whole created a whole business plan on Roshni's pregnancy. What's going to happen? When am I going to potentially go on maternity leave? Wow. What happens in scenario A, B, C? And, you know, I was ready to present all of this. And then I said, guys, I have something to tell you. And the team was like, okay, well, what's going on, right? Said, I'm pregnant. And they, there was no like shock faces or fallen faces. The first thing Juho did was, congratulations. Mm. How many months along are you? And Cameron was like, oh, so exciting. Have you decided which doctor OBGYN? They, they spent the next 30 minutes mm. not going through my plan on how <laughs> I'm going to survive my pregnancy and make the survival business. Mm. Yeah, it is, it is. And, and thank you so much for sharing this anecdote because it's so important, you know, to kind of be able to support the founder, not just because the business would bring us the profits, right? Would be, bring us returns for 
for our peace, but also being able to be supportive of their journey. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, you know, I think this is a nice time to also talk about female founders because, you know, this is part of our, in, uh, International Women's Day series. Every year we celebrate that. And, uh, this year even more because, um, we announced our fifth fund uh, of 541 million out of which 500 million we want to dedicate it to female founders or co-founders. Yeah. We're definitely looking to back more, uh, female founders in the region. Uh, I want to also now ask you, you know, what are some of the advice, hard truth you would give for female co-founders or co-founders? Yeah, especially for this series. So I think um, it's really about a first knowing yourself and being authentic with yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, you are going to slow down during pregnancy. Mm-hmm. That is the that is the unavoidable truth. Yeah, uh, having kids might slow you down as well a little bit, but if you accept that it's a fifteen-year journey. This is only a small blip in the 15 years. You bounce back mm-hmm. and then you are more efficient than ever because you have no time for nonsense because you have kids to go home to that you have to tend to. So it actually like puts you on stereotype turbo charge of being like efficient, uh, but you will have a little bit of a downtime. So make sure that you plan that as you are figuring out your founding journey mm. because there's always going to be ups and downs in business mm. so a first of all like be very open with yourself it's whether you tell others doesn't that's your decision right mm. but you need to be honest with yourself are you planning on becoming a mom are you not planning on becoming a mom are you planning on taking a motherhood break or when are you planning on actually having a baby and pl- work that into your life um, so that's the first thing mm. the second thing is that talk to other women it is so important that we create a tribe of other women who can support yeah. us because the journey that we experience as female founders is different from the male journey. Um, and, and, and if you're older, it's not just about pregnancy, it's about menopause. It's also a different thing. A guy's not going through it. Yeah. So, you know, it's important to be with a tribe of other women who understand and have been through that process because they can turn to you and say, oh, this is what you're going to experience. This is normal. This is not normal. Mm. The reason having another tribe of women founders working together is very important is because uh, women haven't been in the workforce for a very long yeah, time, true. which means that we don't have a lot of role models to look forward, look up to because 50 years ago, our moms weren't working Mm. So women entering the workforce is a last 50 year phenomenon, um, which, but men have been working all their lives. Yeah. So they have a lot of role models to look up mm, to. True. So it can feel sometimes a little bit very lonely because you don't see enough women in leadership position. Mm. And it's not because we're not competent and yeah. it's not because we're taking a motherhood break. Mm. It's just because there hasn't been a lot of women working mm. for a very long time. Yeah. And over 100 years, 200 years, 300 years, this will normalize. We mm. will see a lot of women in leadership position. Mm. But uh, it's important to surround yourself so that you realize that you're not alone Mm. and there are other people that you can look up to. Yeah, I I love how you put it in perspective because really 50 years isn't long. And uh, for guys, you know, they do have the boys club. You know, we are now only starting. So in uh, 2015, I believe that you you have created a community called Female Founders Network of 3,000 female founders across Asia. And then in 2019, you started something. Tell us about it. Yeah, so so I started Female Founders with this amazing founder called Marie Rosek. I have learned so much from her. Uh, and I'm so indebted to her, both from a business perspective as well as just in my motherhood journey. Uh, but, you know, besides what Marie and me were trying to do, which was really try to help more women start up businesses, uh, by 2019, we realized that, okay, there's more and more women who are starting up businesses. So that's not the challenge. The real challenge is actually women who have taken on VC funding, 
And women who are in private sector running very large organizations or uh, public listed companies, there isn't a lot of opportunities for them to get to know each other and meet Mm. and really create a network, a club of their own. And so I realized I knew so many amazing women, but they didn't know each other. Mm. So I set up a dinner and I said, I want you all to know each other. So my friends must be friends with each other and you're all amazing women. So get to know each other. Um, and that evolved into dinners in each other's house every quarter. And from a group of like the first group was 20 of us. It grew to about 45 of us who are PNL holders running businesses across Asia. Uh, you can talk about anything under the sun. But one of the purposes of this as well is to, we felt that we were no longer going to try to jostle for a seat on the table. Mm-hmm. We were going to build the table and we we're going to build our own seats. So these are all the women who are sitting on the table together. And if they get an opportunity, for example, there's a board position then their role is to bring in another woman and not say, hey, I don't know enough women who can do this. Mm. Because, hey, there's a whole network of women who are capable, who are competent, who are so bloody smart, who can actually contribute to other businesses as well. Very, very cool. You know, I realized that maybe one of your gifts is really bringing people together because you have brought together the community of parents, mothers, and now also the female founders uh, and, and other women. Uh, and also other women uh, who are in leadership position as well. So you mentioned a really good point about how we actually need to build, you know, this table and not be, you know, competing against each other and killing each other, right? When when um, we are all starting out. Yeah, so I think really, really that's so important. Yeah. We, in the recent years, there's been some uh, unhappy episodes, you know, with like Terranos, uh, Elizabeth Holmes, and also Zilingo's uh, Antica Boss. So what would you say to people reading about this news? You know, how, how do you regain the kind of confidence around uh, female founders? So, I mean, the... Uh... Yes. So we have had, of course, right, two episodes of uh, female founders who kind of did not do their fiduciary duties, Mm. right? I can only name you these two. And this is like one in Asia and one in the US, Mm. right? I can name you 10 blow-ups of males in Asia and 10 blow-ups of males in the US. So the whole idea is that this is always going to happen. So I don't think it's a case of, oh, it's a female or it's a male. There's always going to be a group of founders who are not aligned with their investors mm. and who or either end up cutting corners etc yes. so even for us right over the years i mean we've had challenging years right where we're losing so much of money or we are not making enough revenue um you know of course it's tempting to to just be like oh my gosh how do we sweep it under the carpet right but the whole idea is that for us we never tried to like uh you know fake gmv or whatever it was a case of I go back to the board now and tail between your legs saying, I tried, you know, I really, really tried, but my numbers are like this jalat, <laughs> you know, clearly I got a wrong strategy. So don't, don't get angry at me on why I didn't deliver. Mm. Try to help me diagnose yeah. because we have put in the effort. Mm. We have worked our buttocks off. Mm. So, you know, if we haven't achieved, it's not, I cannot be paise to come back to you to say, I failed miserably because the startup journey is yeah. all about punting. So it's all about saying that, hey, I'm betting on something and it could potentially grow into a unicorn. Mm. So we're going to make lots of mistakes. True. And sometimes you're just going to take lots and lots of Play-Doh and drop it right at the Mm. wall and something's going to stick. So, you know, don't punish us when we make mistakes because that's how you get your outliers. Yeah. Um, So I think it's about the, the ecosystem where 
VCs and investors really need to be very clear to their founders on their expectation. Mm -hmm. And founders also need to be very clear to the VCs on that, you know, if you're looking for like, hyper growth right from day one mm. I can't deliver it yeah uh, but if you're looking for I'm going to work and consistently try to find how I can give you return on investment mm. you got to trust me on it yeah you're very right to say that you know sometimes because female founders are among the few uh, when things go wrong it tends to be more in the media compared to uh, the counterparts so that's hard to avoid uh, and like that you also brought up about you know the transparency and the kind of uh, collaboration with um, the investors not not kind of hiding things under the carpet because I think in the end the truth always prevails. Yeah. yeah I think I think it takes so much courage and, and that's the right step right to be to be truthful and then to be able to work things out. Um, I also want to ask you about something outside of, you know, venture and investing and startups, which is, um, I come across the trailer of the, uh, the docu-film, which is, um, the untouchable children of God that you have been an executive producer of. I saw the trailer and I was really touched about you know, what you are sh uh, shedding light on, which is the children, who are the, the young girls who are trafficked from Nepal and then working in the brothels of India. So I'm really curious, you know, how did you come up with this idea? How, how did it all happen? It's always the right time, right place and people knowing what I'm passionate and interested in. I think there's no doubt about it. If it comes to do with anything to do with children, with mm. women, with mom, sign me up. I'm interested. Um, so, you know, uh, the case of untouchable children of God, it's just like, the whole idea that there could be young girls mm. who are trafficked out of their bedrooms, stolen in broad daylight or in the middle of the night from their own safety of their own bedrooms mm. and cross-border trafficked into a neighboring country. Yeah taken away from their families mm, it's crazy. and forced to be taking steroid injections so that mm. they can develop more womanly body parts and then sold to brothels mm. to serve men. It, to me, this is just like, even till now, I, I have goosebumps thinking about it, right? It is, uh, it is not just an insult and a travesty to women, it's freaking young kids who our duty is to protect as adults. When I heard about what was happening, it, it, it just incensed me, right? This is just a fundamental human right we're talking about uh, that is bigger than all of us. Uh, you know, and how can I not do something about it? How can I not put my money, my time, my effort, my care around this? Because it, it's important. Uh, and, you know, at the same time, the exec, uh, the director of the uh, docu-movie, uh, Grant Knightley, is brought together our different various skill sets. Some people were great with music and some people, you know, was uh, was able to help with distribution, hmm. uh, some with uh, camera filming, etc. And it was just really about what can we do? And we can't stop this epidemic from happening because this involves things that are bigger than us, right? Hmm. Um but can we bring to light what is happening? Because then hopefully can mobilize the same mm. anger in yeah. more people. Because there's only two things that move the world. Mm. Love and anger. <laughs> so, you know, so for me, it was the love for these children. But it was anger on how vicious and degrading humans can actually be. Yeah. And I was hoping that more people by watching this film would feel the same way. 
and would help do something about this. Yeah, I mean, I only watched the trailer, but I was already really deeply affected by it. You know, um, it it's like if I have never come across this, I I wouldn't know. Yeah, so so it's so great that your you and your team has created that because that creates the knowledge, and with knowledge, then people can do things. It truly skill that impact that we can create together. Yeah. yeah, so that's really amazing. Um, last two question for you. So the first one is uh, time management because you know you you have done lots of things. You built your your own business. You ha- are running different uh, organizations, being on the board of various organizations, having a child, a family. How do you manage it all? You know, is there a secret? So there's no such thing as work life balance. Work is life. Life is work. Mm. <laughs> so I think it was just being able to marry the fact that. Um, you know, I, I bring my daughter for meetings. She comes to the office all the time, but mm. like uh, for me, it's more like she can learn outside of the school environment too. Mm. Um, so she's, you know, I've taken her to many different countries. I've taken her to our different factories. She has sat in while I'm interviewing and hiring people. She has sat in while I've let go of people. Mm. <laughs> she has sat in for board meetings. Mm. I remember there was this one time where I had to deliver something like investor updates, right? And come and call me and she said, hey, you haven't delivered your investor updates. We need to know your numbers. And my kid was super young and she was crying. And I said, I, you know, Shan, she's not stopping to cry. And at the same time, I have to deliver this to you. And she said, okay, why don't you put, you know, video cam, let me see, maybe mm-hmm. I can help. And she sang to Shan and she did <laughs> video like camming with Shan just so I could have time behind my laptop wow. to be able to send out my <laughs> She didn't tell me about this. This is <laughs> very interesting. You know, you're always uh, finding innovative solution to problem. And then last but not least, you know, because uh, this is the beginning of a new year, you know, what lies ahead for, for parenting? What are some exciting plans? So, you know, so now we've got the four parts of our business, right? Mm. So we've got the media and the community and that will always be the heart of the company, right? At the end of the day, we are not a retail company. We are not an FMCG brand. We are a parent tech company. And at the heart of it is our community. So uh, so now that that is sorted and it's been sorted for many years, we've got the brands. So we've got Mama's Choice and Little Ray. We've got retail through Mother's Work. And we've got distribution of 25 other brands as well. So it's really about taking all of this and making sure it's working well with each other and expanding into more territories and more markets. So we'll be bringing Little Ray into all the other markets of Southeast Asia. Right now, Little Ray is only in Singapore. Mm. Um, but Mama's Choice is available in five out of six of the markets we operate in. Uh, and then we are entering into uh, physical retail in Vietnam and we'll be entering into physical retail in more countries as well. So wow. it's a busy year. Yes, sounds exciting. And I'm, we are really hopeful and happy for you. Thanks. Yeah. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having me. <laughs> thank you for all the sharing. <laughs> we hope you've enjoyed the conversation as much as we did. Before we close, do remember to check out the podcast notes via the link in the episode description. We have for you the entire episode transcript, bite-sized summaries, and a wealth of other resources and content that we're sure you'll love. Also, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please do spread the word and give us a thumbs up. It would help others find the show and mean a lot to us. Thank you for joining us. This is Hot Truths by Vertex. See you next time.